Let's have God's word direct our attention towards Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 22. Uh, but today I'd like to just read up to verse 12. And if you can, please rise as we read God's word together. This is the word of the Lord. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz says, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malin, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer at this time? Would you speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word? Take your truths planted deep within. Would you shape and mold us into your likeness? Do this so that the light of Christ may shine in our actions, in our life, in all that we do. Speak, 
to us at this time so that your word may go forth and that your church may be built until you return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, we took a close look at Boaz and we saw how he was fit to be Ruth's faithful redeemer. See, as a man, Boaz was someone who walked in the fear of the Lord. And as someone who feared God, we see that he was so generous towards others, always going beyond what he was required to do. You know, we think that when someone fears God, Normally, that means if someone fears God, he or she is harsh towards others, right? If someone is really fearful of God, that results in uh, people being critical of others or even being timid around others. But that's actually not the case. People who truly fear the Lord, they're liberated to be generous towards others. And we see Boaz fitting this mold towards Ruth Boaz, as a man who feared the Lord, his initial reaction when seeing Ruth was to care for her, to protect her, to protect her at his own expense. His initial reaction was to take responsibility for her. And we see the way in which he treats her, right? Not as an outsider, not as a foreigner, not as someone who's below him. But he treats her with dignity, equality, and honor. He invites her to the table Not to serve at the table, but to dine with him and his fellow reapers. See, Boaz was qualified to be God's faithful redeemer. Now, all of that is great, but it's not enough. You see, for redemption to take place, not only do you need a person, but you also need a plan, right? So, for instance, Jesus just didn't show up as a redeemer on Christmas No, he had a plan for redemption, and that's Easter. See, likewise, Boaz is a redeemer, but he also needs a plan for for redemption. And that is what today's passage is about. Today's passage is about Boaz as a faithful redeemer enacting faithful redemption. Now, I just want our congregation to know... um, As we listen to the unpacking of this story this morning, the aim of today's message isn't for us to just walk away with a greater appreciation for Ruth and Naomi's redemption. No, that's not the entire goal. The true aim for us this morning, as we listen to this story, is to once again, for you and I to discover how beautiful our Redeemer is, and how precious our redemption is, okay? Because once again, this story isn't just about Ruth, okay? But this story is a portrait into what God has and is doing in your story, in your life. So as you listen to the story, please try to reflect on the way in which God has faithfully redeemed you. Now, to pick up where we last left off, we have to go back to chapter 3. If you recall in chapter 3, Naomi tells Ruth, listen, I want you to go wash yourself, anoint yourself, in other words, put on perfume, 
put on your cloak, and then go to where Boaz is at the threshing floor. Okay. Wait until he finishes eating and drinking, and then when he lies down, go quietly, uncover his feet, lie down next to him, and see what he tells you to do. Now, one thing you have to know is that uh, when knowing barley at the threshing floor was sort of the last step in the long harvest process. Okay? This is one of the reasons why the Bible uses the threshing floor as a symbol of final judgment. It's the last step. Now, what do people do normally after finishing months of hard labor? What do they do? What do you do after your semester of hard studying and once you're done with the final exams? What do people do? They celebrate. Right? People eat. They drink. And they let themselves go. See, that was the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a place of celebration. And sometimes a place where mistakes were made. Think of the threshing floor as the ancient Las Vegas. It was a place of merriment, joy, celebration. But sometimes people would let themselves go a little too much and make mistakes. Now, Naomi knows this. And so she tells Ruth, wash yourself, put on fragrance, go uncover his feet. In other words, Naomi's telling Ruth to make an advance. Show him that you are willing and available. You see, the reason why Naomi does this is because according to Israel's law, according to Old Testament law, if a man is intimate with an unmarried woman, he has to marry her. Now, Naomi is hoping that something happens on the threshing floor. Okay? She's hoping that something happens, not on the dancing floor, but on the threshing floor. Now, I know that this might sound provocative or uh, salacious, and some might even find this to be offensive, right? I mean, how can Naomi put Ruth in such a vulnerable position? What a wicked mother-in-law. But you have to understand what Naomi is really seeking. In chapter 3, verse 1, this is what Naomi says. She says this, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. You see, Naomi can either allow Ruth to continue to cling to her. She can allow Ruth to continue to go out and bring home food. Or she can send Ruth out to find protection and care through a husband. But if she does that, that means Naomi will be left alone as a widow to care for herself. What does Naomi do? She chooses what's good for Ruth. She chooses what's good for Ruth at her own expense. Do you know why the book of Ruth is such a beautiful story? It's such a beautiful story because Ruth is about two women in a man's world, lovingly sacrificing for one another. Ruth is about two women who are not mother and daughter, but who are mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Two women not looking out for number one themselves, 
but being faithful and loyal and sacrificial to one another. Ruth has been faithful to Naomi, leaving her hometown, and now Naomi is being faithful to Ruth. You see, Ruth is such a beautiful story today because faithfulness is so countercultural in today's world. Sacrificing for one another is regarded as stupidity, while self-care, self-promotion, self-preservation, they are applauded and called necessary. You see, we find Naomi deeply seeking rest for her daughter-in-law. I mean, have you ever deeply desired rest for the people in your life? Have you deeply desired rest for the people in your life that you actually became restless? Have you sought rest for others at your own expense? Naomi wants Ruth to find rest, even at her own peril. And so we continue on. Ruth was instructed to uncover Boaz's feet, to lie down next to him, and to wait for him to make a move. Wait. See what he says. But we find in the story, Ruth does something else. She goes to Boaz. She uncovers his feet. She lies down next to him. But instead of waiting, she takes the initiative. And she boldly makes this request. This is chapter 3, verse 9. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a kinsman redeemer. Now, to understand this request in verse 9, we need to know two things. The first thing we need to know is spread your wing over me. We learned this last week. This is proposal language. Ultimately, Ruth is saying, be my protector. Ultimately, she's saying, marry me. The second thing we have to know is the meaning of this compound word that we find, this word kinsman redeemer. You see, in the Old Testament, um, there was another law that stated, If someone fell upon hard times, if misfortune came upon someone and he was forced to sell his possessions, namely his land, his closest relative had the opportunity to buy that land. If that closest relative says, no, I can't, the opportunity would then get passed on to the next closest relative. Okay. And this idea of this closest relative was called a kinsman redeemer. So imagine, uh, misfortune came upon you, uh, you had a mortgage, and you had to default on it. If this law was in place, instead of the bank coming in and seizing all of it, your closest relative would have the chance to buy it. Now the reason why the Old Testament had this law was so that the land and possessions could be kept within the family. And and the reason why is because, let's say if I was forced to sell my land because I was in debt, uh, misfortune came upon me, I grew sick, or there was a sudden death, right? If I was forced to sell and my brother, my closest relative, he he bought it, then at least he would still allow me to live on it. And work off of it. That was the intention. So this kinsman redeemer law was supposed to prevent homelessness, 
and poverty. So if you go back to what Ruth says in verse 9, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a kinsman redeemer. Ruth is actually drawing on these two laws. She's saying first, marry me, be my protector. And second, she's saying, redeem my dead father-in-law's land. Because when you do so, Naomi, my mother-in-law, could also live on that land. And she could also be taken care of. You see, the story, as we find, Naomi, she originally sends Ruth to get married. Naomi says to Ruth, go on your way. Boaz is a good, good man. Here's this opportunity. Go, don't look back. Don't worry about me. You are so good to me. You provided for me. You were loyal to me. You were faithful. You sacrificed so much for me. And now Naomi is telling Ruth, go live your life. Forget about me. Go on. But we find what Ruth does is she does the very opposite. See, she doesn't go on forgetting about Naomi. But she makes a proposal where she and Naomi comes together as a package. You see, for Ruth, loyalty was never conditional. See, Ruth wasn't faithful to her mother-in-law only until she saw a good opportunity for herself. Do you remember her confession back in chapter 1? Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. See, Ruth, her faithfulness was never conditional. Time and time again, Naomi is trying to let Ruth go, but we see Ruth is committed. She is committed. So, Ruth doesn't wait for Boaz's proposition. As she uncovers his feet, she doesn't wait for Ruth to say, hey, come down, lie down next to me. No, she actually takes the initiative. She speaks up first. She says, do these two things for me. Save both me and my mother-in-law. Don't just redeem me, but redeem the land. Don't just preserve my life, but preserve the lineage of my father-in-law, Elimelech. Do all of this. That is Ruth's request. I mean, what a daring request. What a clever move. With this one proposal, Ruth is actually attempting to reverse all of her family's misfortune like that. Um, You know, this story reminds me, this proposal actually reminds me of a personal experience I had in um, 2007. Well, it started in 2007. Um, In 2007, our family opened up a new business. And we opened up a new business in an entirely new market serving a new, a, a, an entirely new demographic. And, you know, to be honest, we rushed into it. Uh, we didn't do all the necessary research and all the legwork, um, all the market analysis. We, we didn't do any of that. We just opened up the new business. Now, thankfully, for the first year, we were actually doing quite well. We were meeting projections. We were returning a profit. We forged great relationships 
with the community leaders. But as time went on, we couldn't compete with large retailers like Walmart, Target, and Costco in the area. After some time had passed, about a year, um, we finally got into the red. Um, our profit became, what was once profit became um, debt. And over time, that debt started to grow. We started to get backed up on payments. And we were backed up on rent. One month became two months, and two months became three months. And we were unable to pay rent uh, for this new business for about nine months. Uh, you can imagine the calls that we received from the owner, his lawyer, threatening eviction. Um, and, you know, I remember many times on the phone just pleading with the owner, asking for a little more time, a little more time. But, you know, when you run a business um, and you try to skim in one area, you know, that tends to have a cascading effect and it affects the business and the spiral downward actually continues. We put our entire savings to try to save the business, but we just end up drowning more and more in debt. But one day, one day, a redeemer walks in. He was a representative from the Bank of America. He was actually uh, looking into the neighborhood, trying to buy property to open up a new branch for the Bank of America. He walked in looking for the owner. Now, after a few weeks, we found out that the bank had made an offer to the owner, and they were in serious conversation of acquiring that property. And if they had bought that land, we were evicted, we would walk away with nothing. We had nothing. We had no leverage. The only thing we had was our lease. See, when my father started the business in 2007, he signed a 30-year lease. So, in a swift move, I, I contacted the potential buyer, and I told him who, who I was. I said, listen, uh, I know you want to buy this property, but we currently have a lease on it. So they invited me to their office. It was some town in Midtown, um, somewhere on 6th Avenue. I remember going into this tall, tall skyscraper. I walk in, I sit down, and I tell the potential buyer, listen, we have a 30-year lease. I know you want to build a bank, but if you want to build a bank, you have to buy us out. And I make this outrageous proposal. I said, here is the offer to buy out a 30-year lease. You need to pay us X amount. And they did. They agreed. The closing day was actually three weeks before um, my wedding in 2010. And I remember, you know, days leading up to that closing day, I was so anxious because if something went awry, if, if the bank knew of our situation and things fell through, um, I would have had to call off the wedding and we would have to walk away with nothing. And I remember that closing day, we were in the lawyer's office, all, all the parties together. 
And when they finally signed the paper, it felt like redemption. That my daring and bold request was answered. See, this is what Ruth, her request was like. If it worked out, it would redeem everything. The past, the mistakes, the misfortune, all of that would be wiped away. That's the plan. But we find that there's a problem. And the problem is, Boaz isn't the nearest relative. He isn't the kinsman redeemer. He's actually the second closest. Someone else has first dibs. But Boaz, like Ruth, he's determined to make this work. He hears the plan. He knows what he has to do. And so, chapter 4, he gets up early in the morning. He goes to the city gates, the place where business transactions take place. And as expected, the closest relative walks by. Boaz sits him down. And he sits down ten witnesses, elders of the city. And he explains everything. He says, listen, there's this land that belongs to Elimelech. And for obvious reasons, you know, Naomi, she has to sell it. The harvest is over. The winter is coming. She has to sell this land. You have first dibs. Do you want it? The man thinks about it. And he says, yeah, this is a great deal. Not only do I get to buy land for pennies on the dollar, but since Elimelech has no surviving sons, I don't have to leave any of it as an inheritance to his sons. This man is thinking, I can buy this land for pennies on the dollar, and I can give it entirely to my own sons. Now, as this man is thinking such thoughts, Boaz says, wait, one thing you should know, if you buy this land, Ruth the Moabite, the widow, she comes with the land. Now, when the man hears this, he starts to think about it. He says, wait, if I get the land and Ruth, let's say somehow Ruth conceives and she has a son. That, man, that means that I would have to split this inheritance. Now, everyone knows at this point that Ruth was barren for 10 years. We know that Ruth was not conceiving. But still, as this man considers the thought of having to split his inheritance, he says, no, I don't want to take the chance. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. Friends, if Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, if they are portraits of faithfulness, loyalty, sacrifice, and love, if they are examples of sacrificial love, this unnamed man is an example of someone who seeks nothing more than self-preservation and self-promotion. This man, he isn't willing to take the slightest risk for others. This man is a man who only does that which is advantageous to himself. 
Remember at the heart of the kinsman redeemer law, at the heart of this law was helping those in need. Right? The kinsman redeemer law was about abolishing homelessness, preventing severe poverty. This law was about redemption. But we find this unnamed coward using this law to only enrich himself. He's using the law to only enrich himself. And at the slightest hint of sacrifice, at the slightest hint of risk, at the slightest thought of having to share, he runs the other way. I mean, what a coward. You know, church, I'm going to try to say this as gently as I possibly can, but as honestly as I can. Do you know what my greatest fear as a pastor is? My greatest fear as a pastor is not failing to grow the church. My greatest fear is not seeing decreasing church membership. My greatest fear is not seeing budgets and giving go down year after year. My greatest fear as a pastor is growing the church and seeing that it's filled with a bunch of cowards like this unnamed man. My greatest fear is myself becoming like this man and seeing the church membership grow with so-called Christians who are allergic to words like sacrifice, faithfulness, dedication, commitment. My greatest fear is pastoring a church that does not know how to sacrificially love one another But the only thing they know how to love is themselves, their own pleasure, their own satisfaction, and their own convenience. You know, put simply, my greatest fear is seeing a church filled with people like this unnamed coward. And not a church And my desire is to see a church filled with people like Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. You know, I remember what my friend used to say to his church members. He would always say, church, if we're nothing more than a glorified country club, that we should stop this. This is not what church is supposed to be about. You see, we find portraits, examples, men and women who exemplified faithfulness. For Boaz, the moment he sees the opportunity to redeem someone in need, he jumps right into that door. He doesn't think about himself, his reputation, his inheritance. He doesn't think about his posterity. He is self-forgetful. He doesn't have himself at the forefront of his mind. His only concern is, is in restoring the broken lives of these two women. So what does Boaz do? He does as he said he would do. He makes it legally uh, binding. He has witnesses. He takes the man's sandals, which, you know, sandals is is a business transaction. It's It's a form of a signature almost. He has this transaction, and he pronounces what he is going to do, and it is finalized. Boaz, this faithful redeemer, faithfully redeems Naomi and Ruth, and he perpetuates the lineage of Elimelech. 
And just like that, these two women, who were in the beginning of chapter 1, who were hopeless, destitute, and outcast, these women find faithful redemption through Boaz, the faithful Redeemer. Now, I told you at the start of this message that the goal of this sermon was uh, not for us to walk away with just a greater appreciation of the story, Ruth. But the aim of this message was for you and I to walk away seeing how precious our redemption is and how beautiful our Redeemer is. You see, when we see what Boaz does in comparison to what Christ, our Redeemer, did, and what his redemption was like, we find that it's that our redemption is all the more beautiful, that our Redeemer is all the more precious. You see, Boaz, he took a risk. But Jesus, our Redeemer, actually suffered a loss. You see, Boaz put his reputation on the line It wasn't actually sacrificed. His reputation was put in escrow. But for Jesus, our Redeemer, He actually had to pay the price for our redemption. And that was His blood. If Boaz was the second closest to Ruth, someone who had an obligation towards Naomi and Ruth, our Redeemer, Jesus, He was the Son of God. He had no obligation towards us. Yes, Ruth and Naomi, they were to be pitied by Boaz. They were to Boaz should have had compassion on them because they were victims of misfortune. They were relatives. But we? No, we were not to be pitied. We were to be judged. We were to be condemned. Because of our sin and our rebellion. If Naomi's redemption was a business transaction, the exchanging of a sandal in the presence of witnesses, our redemption required atonement, the exchanging of guilt and shame. The guilt from our lives, the shame from our lives, to our faithful Redeemer, Jesus. Friends, our redemption is all the more precious, is all the more beautiful because our redemption was a cross. The death and resurrection of the Son of God who willingly, lovingly, sacrificially gave himself for us. Jesus was so forgetful of himself. He never once considered his own convenience. He never once thought about his own reputation. He was so forgetful. If you remember the last words he uttered, one of the last words that he uttered on the cross, as people were mocking him, jeering him, cursing him, he says to God, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Friends, this is our redemption. You know, I wonder if Boaz actually had to give his life as a redemption. Would he? Right? If Ruth, her proposition was, Boaz, you need to die to redeem us. 
I wonder what Boaz would have done. You know, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but I don't think he would have done so. Boaz would have sacrificed, but he wouldn't have sacrificed everything. But our faithful Redeemer did. Our faithful Redeemer, for our faithful redemption, did. Not only did he not hesitate, but we find Jesus, our Savior, in the mold of Boaz, as the greater Boaz, giving up everything. Church, you know, this is what we are founded upon. This is what the church is founded upon. This is the basis of our redemption. This is who our Redeemer is. See, this is the reason why the church, this is the reason why we just can't be a country club. This is why the church is called to be a sacrificially loving community because that is the DNA of the church That is what our redemption is based off of. That is what our Redeemer has done. It's built into the DNA, the identity of the church, a sacrificially loving community because of our our redemption and our Redeemer. See, this is the reason why when we see individuals like Naomi, like Ruth, like Boaz, we ought to think, yes, what an amazing picture of God's faithfulness to us. And now as the church, let us reflect that, let us emulate that, let us put this on, lovingly, sacrificially, living for one another. And so the challenge this morning is this. Church, if this story has touched you in any way, as you see this beautiful picture of sacrificial love for one another, let us go forth in the Spirit, enacting beautiful redemption in the lives of those around us, especially in the lives of those who most need it. Would you join me in prayer at this time?